0: You found the Diggin' Oak Island podcast, the podcaster's journey to discover the truth behind the Oak Island mystery. I'm Dave McBride. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. Don't forget, you can help out the show by leaving us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get your shows. Also, come join us on Twitter and Facebook. You can follow the show at Diggin' Oak Island. Thanks, everybody, for joining us once again. I uh, hope you enjoyed the, uh, the last interview we did here with Laird Niven. Uh, that was a great interview, and I got another great interview for you today. As you see, my this summer, rather than the like, kind of research-heavy stuff, like we were doing last summer, this summer what I really wanted to do was sort of give some opportunities to a few of these theorists, some of the people on the show, to really just sort of expand a little bit and talk a little bit more about what they're doing with regards to Oak Island and the work on the island they've done and all that. And I've got a lot of plans for some more researchers and some more people on the island uh, who have been on the island at least and some theorists and that kind of thing for the next couple of weeks before we actually take another kind of short break before we get to... The opening of the new season of the Curse of Oak Island, which you know isn't that far away. So today, I did a conducted a great interview with a person who I consider a friend, especially a friend of the show, Oak Island researcher and theorist Corey and Mall. You've seen him before; he's been on the show a couple of times, along with uh, his partner in all this, a fellow researcher, Chris Morford, who. Um, Together, these are the guys who have presented us with the theory regarding Poussin and his uh, painting, The Shepherds of Arcadia, uh, as well as the um, sort of astrological alignment, or I shouldn't say that, the alignment, let's just put it like that, of Nolan's cross with the Palace of Versailles and the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. I'm sure you remember this. We discussed this a lot in the last season and the season before that. Um, This is a great in-depth conversation. What I want to do when I talk to people like this, is I want to give them a chance to sort of explain a little bit better. I mean, these guys spend hours and hours on the island and years and years doing the research. And usually their time on the island is cut down to, you know, a few minutes at best. And what I like to do is to give these guys the opportunity, these theorists, the opportunity to come on and talk More and give us more information. How did they get to these things? What are they learning? What are they doing now? You know, how is this evolving? How has it already evolved? You know, what didn't we get on the show? And Corian and I discussed his incredible knowledge of just everything that has to do with his theory. I don't want to give any of it away because it's a really exciting, really fun uh, interview to listen to. And For the last couple of years, I've been trying to get Corian on this show because really from the very beginning of this podcast, there has been no one more supportive of this show than Corian Maul. He has been, like I said, a friend to the show and a friend to me right from the launch of this podcast. He's been incredibly helpful um with pointing me in the right direction of some things now and again uh he's always open to discussing stuff um and obviously and you'll hear here he's you know he's got some non-disclosure agreements he's got to deal with and they all have to do that um but he throughout the throughout the life of this podcast he has been nothing but gracious and generous and friendly really to the show and I I've been trying to get him on for a while the time was right now, and you're going to hear this, and hopefully this is not the last time you're going to hear from Corian Maul, uh, and uh, I don't think it's the last time. I don't think we've seen the last time he's going to be on the show, but more on that as we get going here in the interview. The interview starts off with something I just want to mention, uh, and I'm not going to stay too much because Corian puts this much better than I possibly could, but this past week, we lost a member of what we would call the extended Oak Island family. A gentleman by the name of Chris Dona passed away suddenly. Uh, he was a researcher, an Oak Island researcher. He actually assisted uh, with some of the work that Corey and Mall and his partner Chris Morford have done and have shown us. Um, and his passing is, again, tragic, very sudden, and very sad. Uh, he has actually, Chris Dona has actually been on the show. It was a few seasons back. But uh, I'm sure by now, if, you've, if you're have if you in the Oak Island fan community, you've heard about this. Um, so I I wanted to ask Corian about this because I knew he had a personal friendship with Mr. Dona. And that's how the interview begins. I, I got to apologize. It's a little clunky. I kind of asked him about this and I couldn't figure out a way to sort of artfully transition into an actual conversation about Oak Island Theory. And in the long run, after discussing and listening to um, you know, Corian's really heartfelt reaction to the passing of his friend, uh, I felt a little weird kind of moving on to the next subject, but be that as it may, we had to do so. So um we're gonna take a short break here. Uh first of all I wanna send our everybody here at the show, from my family to the friends and family of Christona our sincerest Regrets on this tragedy, um, I know that we're thinking about you guys and, uh, we are very as a group and as a, I think I speak for the whole Oak Island family, very appreciative of the work Mr. Doan has done and the legacy he's left behind. And it sounds like he has left behind a research legacy here, part of which the gentlemen who you're about to hear, Corey Maul and Chris Morford have picked up and are, uh, are, are continuing in, in the most proper and respectful of ways. So let's take a short break. And when we come back, my interview with Corey and Maul here on Digging Oak Island. Joining me now is Oak Island. Now, here we go. I got to get this right. Oak Island researcher. <laughs> And former Oak Island theorist, (laughs) Corian Maul. Corian, thank you so much for joining me. Um, Hey, man. This has been a long time coming. I'm glad we finally got together to do this. Um, I got a million questions for you. We're going to get to all that. But before we do any of it, um, I just want to ask you about somebody who we lost, a member of the Oak Island family who we lost, uh, um, a gentleman named Chris Dona. And I don't know if I'm saying that right for one thing. I think I am. Um but I don't know if people remember him. He appeared on the show. Uh can you explain who this gentleman was and how big a loss this is for us?
1: Um yeah, and what a way to start. Um but I guess uh it's the proper way to uh, spend some time yeah. on him and uh um and remember him a little bit. I actually just heard uh, he passed away this morning when I woke up and I had a million messages uh in my inbox from uh people in the uh, in the community uh and i'm <laughs> I'm still in shock uh knew him very well um, chris appeared you know I always mix up these seasons so uh yeah uh, uh, so bear with me but uh, he was on one of the earlier seasons uh and introduced uh you know the idea that astronomy uh has a lot to do with Oak Island and uh, um, that uh, the position of uh, constellations and stars you know, could reflect on the ground and lead to certain points of interest uh, right. on the island, which were worth uh, digging or telling their own story. Um, you know, Chris Donohue was a sky guy. He owned the sky. Um, uh, Chris Morfitt and myself, we worked uh, together with him very closely for, I think, uh, uh, something like over a year uh, at the time uh, when we were doing uh, the Versailles uh, uh, research, you know, the the alignment, and and he he literally brought you know a new dimension to this uh, thing right. because he directed our eyes to the sky and showed us how you know these constellations aligned and what an important part they played in the grand scheme uh, cooked up. Uh, um, you know by the sun king and his uh, uh, uh and his helpers um and he, and he, and he was incredibly uh, good at that um so you know he'll be uh, he'll be missed very much uh, another thing that was characteristic about him which i which i should share i guess so the, the request to to talk to um um to Chris, it was actually suggested by uh, by Rick Lagina in one of our war rooms, who said, "You know, you, you should talk to uh, to Chris Dona. He uh, he knows a lot. Uh, he has this uh, uh, amazing ast- uh, astronomical uh, knowledge, <laughs> astronomical in uh, in many senses, I guess." Right. Um, and uh, so that's how we got in touch. And, and, and Chris was a real bridge builder. You know, in the, the, the community of Oak Island Research is not very big. We all know each other. Uh, we all collaborate, work together every now and then. But, you know, when it comes down to it, I think many of us are, are lone wolves who like to work alone and bury our heads in, uh, in books and uh, research documents and libraries and uh, caves and tunnels. Um, Chris was very much about gathering everybody up, uh, you know, building the bridge, uh, sharing information. You know, you could always uh, ask him a question. I spoke to him very recently about uh, some GPS coordinate that I needed uh, for something. You know, and he, he was always there, always, always willing to participate. Uh, and you know, Oak Island was was more for him than uh, uh, than just research. It was really part of his life it was really important for him, you know, it it moved him, it deeply interested him, and he, he had to know, he wanted to know, uh, wow. and I think he did some amazing work on uh, uh, on astronomy, yeah, he actually was material in convincing me that that plays a part at all. I, uh, I, 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 well, I, I think he, he taught me uh, very much of what I know about the subject uh, today, for which I'm uh, eternally grateful. Uh, and the other thing we uh, we used to butt head about uh, sometimes was the damn Shakespeare plaque. <laughs> uh, the, the, you know, the memorial plaque for William Shakespeare and the Holy Trinity Church uh, uh, in England, um, uh, which had his focus uh, and, you know, on which he uh, discovered one amazing thing uh, after another. And, you know, and, and we could also, he was a panoptic, you know, he, we could also headbutt, uh, But... But he he was a very personal guy. So um, if we had had like an issue, which which happens if you work so closely together sure. for such a long time, you know, we used to call each other uh, on Zoom on the weekend. You know, have a chat. You know, before you know, you know we would be 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 laughing our asses off and uh, always ended uh, with a smile, more understanding, and, and uh, I think without any exception, you know, we always said to each other, you know, we need to we need to talk to each other more. We need to do face to face more. We need yeah. to travel to each other more. But then, you know, of course, COVID kicked in and we were sort of all uh, uh, tied to our chest. Uh, um, but that was Chris Dono. And boy, we missed the guy.
0: My friend, I'm sorry for your loss and uh, for everybody here who's involved. I and mean, this is and it seems to be a pretty tragic situation. So uh, I, um, you know, I'm glad we had a moment to talk to you about this and let the listeners know how much he meant not only to you, but to also to Oak Island and to the researchers of Oak Island. I feel like every subject we're going to do now is a little flippant, <laughs> you know, a little a little less important, but let's go to that and brighten things up a little bit if you're okay with that. Um, yep. What I want to start off with is the one thing that researchers, theorists, and everybody who comes on the show doesn't ever get, which is sort of what they call in the comic business your origin story, how you ended up here how you ended up doing this. And nobody ever really gets the time to say that because uh, I'm I'm sure you will agree with every other researcher I've had. You guys are on the show and you're talking for days, hours of filming, and then you're on for seven minutes or something like that. So a lot of, right. And so a lot of that stuff gets lost. And I think that when we, when the rest of us are, Analyzing your theory, we're not really getting a chance to analyze it. We're only looking at a scene on a show, and I want to give you the opportunity first to to tell us how you got here, what your background is, because I think this is going to take you a while. <laughs> I'll do my best. And tell tell us how you got everything up to Oak Island and leading you to that.
1: Sure. Yeah. What a great question. Uh, and before I go into that, Dave. Um, there's a, a very clear distinction between, you know, Oak Island, the research, and Oak Island, uh, the television production. Right. Um, so when you sign up, you know, you know you're going to be, whatever you say is going to be edited, and you never know what it's going to look like on television. And that's okay. You know, I've, uh, I've accepted that. Uh, but I can tell you, and I think uh, previous speakers uh, uh, have said the same thing before me, um, the Oak Island team has all the time in the world for you, uh, if you want to sit down and do a war room of five hours, they will actually sit down for five hours and listen to you. Uh, wow. They're very knowledgeable. It's uh, uh, usually very interactive, and uh, you know it's it's a great thing uh, to do. And then you know to make television out of that. You know I uh, I, I pity the poor editors uh, in LA uh, <laughs> who have to make uh, you know yeah. a consistent story uh, out of all these things uh, <laughs> that they hear. Right. Um, so. Um, yeah, about myself. I think. Um, well, I don't think I'm. I'm pretty sure about it. Uh, I started um, this journey in 1995 uh, when I was on uh, the Isle of Malta, uh, and um, I had some time to kill on the airport. Uh, walked into a bookshop. And I think I uh, uh, they, they had a um, you know a big uh, a big chest there with uh, uh, books on sale, and on top was Holy Blood, Holy Grail by uh, uh henry lincoln uh richard lee and uh, michael Bajant. um so and, and at the time i was fully uh, uh unsuspecting uh of that whole story uh but i read it on the plane and i i can still you know uh, almost remember what it uh what it did to me and and how much it uh it touched me um i come from uh, i'm not gonna say i come from uh an ultra religious family, but we, we did go to church. Uh, uh, I was an altar boy even when I was younger. Uh, and, uh, um, you know, the, the, the Bible wasn't hammered into me, uh, far from, but I was familiar with the stories, went to uh, a Christian school and, uh, to, to, to read that, uh, you know, there was a chance that, uh, uh christ had been married to uh, mary magdalene that they had children that whole thing you know it's basically the backstory behind the da vinci code uh, but right but way before dan brown uh, um right. uh, wrote his novel so yeah.
0: it's the book that connects christ to the merovingians right and it does the, uh,
1: and that whole line that, book, that
0: that that dan brown talks about
1: that's that's correct right. uh and I should be a bit clearer holy blood holy grail is the story of a village in the south of france called de chateau right um
0: where in
1: 1885 a new priest uh, uh started uh, his career as a priest uh he uh he found this dilapidated church that he needed to renovate and during the renovations uh, he found some documents allegedly Um, And and then uh, the whole mystery and uh, conspiracy theory situation uh, starts. He might or might not have found the bones of Christ. um, uh, Pieces from the Old Testament, uh, uh, a parked UFO under his church, uh, the bones of a uh, uh, um, a Merovingian uh, king, uh, uh, certain relics, the body of Mary Magdalene, Uh, or perhaps just uh, gold and possessions of the nobility that had to flee the area at the time of the French Revolution. Um, uh, It's an incredibly interesting and layered story, Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, I wanted to know more about it. So um, uh, I think the next year I was on a holiday and I was in the area, so I I decided to visit... uh, uh, the village of Rennes-Château uh, visited the church and the museum and and basically uh, got an interest. And then um, at the same time, you know I was uh, talking to my to my dad, uh, and we were discussing how you you know you move out of the house and 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 we, we were really talking about how how well do we know each other. I mean, you've raised me, and then I left the house and said, hey, mom, hey, dad, and I was gone. And then, you know, you return every second weekend, you know, the first years uh, to bring your laundry and, uh, and get supplies. And then later, uh, you know, to, uh, to show the kids, uh, uh, let them uh, uh, watch the dog uh, for a day, and, uh, and that's it. So um, I said to my dad, you know, how about, you know, you and me go to the south of France and we, uh, we investigate this mystery. And I remember, you know, we we were going to drive to the south of France, which was like, uh, you know, a twelve, thirteen-hour drive from my house, and, and and I really couldn't sleep the night before because I thought, you know, I'll be sitting next to the guy for twelve hours. What the hell am I going to say to him? Right? <laughs> uh, uh, even even though he, you know, he's my father, uh, <laughs> but man, it was amazing. Um, it was um, it was it was deep, and it was revealing and it was interesting and uh you know it's 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 really uh, so Renly Chateau is where I met my father wow uh so so that that's that's how special the place is for me and you know I started researching uh uh, my father has a good background in uh in theology and uh um you know everything uh, to do with the bible Uh, he speaks french very well Uh, my french is okay I went to school in paris um so but he, he you know he's a bit older so uh, um uh, the churches in the south of france are always locked and the key is in the hands of the lady who lives next to the church right, and right. my dad has a uh, a real talent for uh you know, <laughs> you know luring the lady out of the house uh, <laughs> with the key in her with the key in her hands <laughs> so we've had many a private tour of uh, of all these places that featured uh, uh in holy blood holy grill but also in, right. in many other books and uh uh, that's how it went um, uh, I started uh, collecting uh, facts photos started building a website I got in touch with uh, the likes of uh, Andrew Goff and Philip Coppens the late Philip Coppens unfortunately uh, we did a, uh, a podcast together called the Renaissance the essence of uh, of Renly Chateau illuminate your ears um, is that still um, can you still get that it's that is still on Spotify. Yeah, it's still there. Excellent. If you uh, search for Renaissance, um, uh, and then R E double You will find it. And wh- what we did, we we basically interviewed every author researcher that had something to do with the mystery. And there's some big names there: Steve Berry, um, yeah. uh, Kate Moss, uh, Henry Lincoln. Yeah, uh, but also uh, uh, French authors and uh, and researchers. Uh, some of some of them uh, who've passed away, and it's you know it's amazing to uh, that you're still able to hear them uh, uh, explain their theory. So you know we had a laugh, we we, we had good fun, and then at uh, uh, some stage uh, I was asked uh, uh, to do something on television for the Forbidden History series, right? Um, and you know, and all the while, you know, your your knowledge of the mystery. Uh, Increases and I had this great fact base. Uh, I don't have a very good memory, but uh, I had this great fact base on my website, and a lot of people uh, visited. And then one day, a couple of years ago, uh, uh, I got an email from a, uh, uh, a research assistant uh, from the Oak Island team. Um, did I know anything about uh, a painter called uh, Nicolas uh, Poussin? And uh, uh, could I talk about uh, any, you know, esoteric stuff uh, in his? Uh, uh, in his paintings and uh, and, oh. and his background, um, which I uh, which I did, um, and you know Poussin is a uh, uh, a painter which uh, uh, features frequently in the in the mystery of Rain le Chateau is uh, associated uh, with it, uh, uh, you know, to a large extent. Uh, so I, I I knew a number of things and uh, uh, talked to the lady and then you know she. Uh, um invited me to do some sort of an audition and i you know, i still remember uh uh I, you know i was behind my uh uh my computer and you know the camera opens up uh, we had a zoom session right and, <laughs> and there was the war room of my favorite show <laughs> uh, so, uh, so i i really really uh, I, I really couldn't believe it so uh you know i had a chat uh, uh and uh after the chat uh, I think within 2 hours I had a ticket and uh, the next Sunday I landed on, uh, in Halifax. Um
0: so um that's uh I think that's I, how it came to pass. Yeah have, I have a couple of questions just from what you're saying there. Um they were on to Pusan before you? Like yes. they were where so they came to you about yes. Busan. Um yeah, so, so can that, you explain that was, uh, why so that so would they, be, you know?
1: I can. Um, <laughs> uh, so, sorry for interrupting you all the time. Call it uh, enthusiasm. Um, yeah, they came to me. Um, and I think the reason uh, they gave is that uh, Poussin kept coming up in, uh, in many of the theories that they were presented with. Okay. So they, uh, uh, they thought, you know, there must be something about him. Uh, you know, can you tell us a bit about the guy? So I was, you know, imagine my surprise when I saw myself on television as a theorist. Um, but uh, uh, you know, that that's uh, that's not a problem. But th- th- this is how it happened.
0: Before we get to connecting to Oak Island, can you connect for, for just for listeners, just so we're following all this? Because here's the thing about this, guys, for for people listening, this is an incredibly layered story that we're telling that starts you know that does not start at Renle Chateau that starts with (laughs) with Mary and Magdalene and Jesus and goes all the way up to whatever may have happened in Oak Island and there's so much in between so I'm we're never going to do all that in this conversation but connect Poussin to Renle Chateau just so that people know what that connection is. And then we'll get to connecting it to Oak Island after that.
1: Yeah. There's, there's, there's basically two connections, uh, between Poussin and Renly Chateau. Both are highly suspect, uh, but they are sort of, you know, ingrained in the, in the fabric, uh, of the mystery. Um, um, this mystery became, uh, let's say, you know, renowned or a little, a little bit uh, better known in the 1960s, uh, when a guy called who uh, was a French investigative journalist uh, broke the story uh, in a book, "The Accursed Treasure of le Chateau." Right. And in the book, uh, he claims that um, uh, Father Sonnier, the priest, uh, during the works in his uh, in his church, unearthed. Uh, um, a small, a small glass tube uh, that contains uh, a number of parchments. And uh, uh, when you decode the parchments, uh, you get to a treasure. And whatever the treasure is, is dependent on how you decode uh, the parchments. Uh, whether or not the parchments actually existed um, is, uh, uh, is uh, uh, let's say, uh, doubted and a uh, uh, dispute. But in his book, uh, Sonier uh, takes the parchments to Paris uh, to the seminary of uh, Saint-Sulpice, which is, uh, you know, at the heart of the city. And uh, he asks a, a certain guy, Emile Hoffet, uh, to to help him decode and translate uh, uh, these parchments, uh, which, according to the book, uh, he does. Um, the book also um, uh, states that during his stay in Paris, Sonnier Uh, buys uh, a number of reproductions of paintings from the Louvre, the big museum. Mm -hmm. Uh, And one of those is The Shepherds of Arcadia by Nicolas Poussin. Um, This too is disputed. Uh, Research has been done. uh, The Louvre didn't sell reproductions at the time okay uh, but yeah you know, but you know for this story uh, uh, not so interesting well we, we can talk about this uh, you know for for another 15 hours and we we'll right. uh, <laughs> and we'll still we'll, not we'll know. never get to <laughs> it
0: right.
1: there, there'll be a bottom beneath every bottom you ever reach right. um, but um, uh, the the painting in itself is interesting because it de- at the time you know it depicted a situation that looked as if it was situated just outside Rennes chateau. So if you look at uh, the painting, Shepherds of Arcadia, uh, you see a tomb uh, in a pastoral setting, an ideal landscape. Uh, uh, Nicolas Poussin painted many of those. And uh, uh, you see a lady standing on the right who looks like Athena or Venus. Uh, And there's uh, a number of shepherds leaning on the tomb and pointing at an inscription uh, in the stone. Uh, which says "Et right. in Arcadia Ego," uh, the the by now familiar theme. Uh, but in the background, a little bit, you know, to the top right uh, of the painting, you see three mountain peaks. And according to the writer of the of the book, and uh, if you're in the location, uh, you will, you know, to some extent, agree that it looks sort of like what you see on the painting. Uh, are uh, 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 three mountain peaks. The first one is Mount Cardu. Uh, near uh, near Rennes Chateau, the second one is the Chateau uh, of Blanchefort, uh, a Templar cha- uh, Chateau near Rennes Chateau, and Rennes Chateau itself. So you see the three mountain peaks, you know, in uh, uh, behind each other uh, on his painting, and um, this appears to be confirmed by the fact that you know, from the vantage point of the tomb, there 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 was actually a tomb in the 1930s, uh, which looked the spitting image of the tomb on Shepherds of Arcadia. However, um, research shows that that tomb wasn't there before the 1930s. It was built in 1933 by a gentleman uh, who had migrated uh, or immigrated into France uh, uh, from the U.S., and he uh, he built uh, uh, the tomb in that exact location. It looks very much like the tomb on the painting, and the backdrop looks somewhat uh, like the like the backdrop on the painting, and hence
0: uh, a mystery was born. So you're you're almost debunking the mystery as you go along here.
1: <laughs>
0: <You're>, <laughs> oh, there's a, there's a, there's a real mystery, but uh, yeah,
1: uh, I think Nicolas Poussin, even though he's completely, uh, you know. Um, associated with the mystery has very little to do with it, uh, in practice.
0: So do you feel from, from what you're talking that, I mean, you're, you're, you're researching, right. And I asked this of all the theorists, do you feel you have a theory? Like, do you feel you, you have, you've researched enough to be able to say you think this could happen, this happened? Yeah. And if so, can you explain that?
1: Yeah. yeah. And it's a very, uh, Earthly explanation. So um, y- y- um, there, there is a mystery. You know, Sonia found something, and he became rich all of a sudden. He bought all of the hilltop, and and um, you know, he he built some sort of a uh, a Neverland. Uh, you know, in uh, in in you know, in the barren south of France. Um, where did he get the money? That's the you know, uh, literally one million dollar question. Um, so. Um, it, through the years, I've I've just been ticking off uh, the theories uh, one by one, and uh, what remains, uh, you know, uh, might be the truth. And they are very uh, earthly motives to do with uh, uh, um, uh, uh, money, riches, uh, um, deceit. Perhaps I think the the most likely explanation is that indeed uh, uh, when uh, the nobility had to flee uh, the south of France because of the French Revolution, uh, and with them, uh, a lot of the clergy uh, uh, left the country uh, because they had to uh, swear an oath uh, to the French state, right. and they didn't want to do so. Um, and they, they uh, took their valuables and stashed them. You know, they couldn't carry everything, so they stashed a lot of it away uh, beneath uh, the places that they owned. Uh, uh, churches, uh, chateaus, uh, um, that's what appears to have happened. So uh, someone, uh, uh, you know, in the late uh, 18th century, um, uh, stashed uh, stuff away under the church, blocked the entrance, uh, hid a certain paper with some clues, and then uh, left for Spain, uh, where he died. A uh, hundred years later, uh, Sonia comes in, uh, finds the parchment, uh, opens the vault finds the gold and starts uh, selling off the artifacts uh, or, or, uh, you know, the the coins or whatever else he finds uh, uh, one by one. Uh, You know, Sonnier used to uh, uh, leave his domain every now and then. He he, he had sort of an, uh, uh, let's call it an early out-of-office reply uh, uh, invented. So we had notes that his uh, uh, servant uh, would send to people who, who would send him letters. So uh, uh, if someone sent him a letter uh, on a Monday, I know he he would receive that on a, uh, let's say, on a Thursday, and she would uh, immediately send a a standard letter back saying, you know, I'm really busy, but I'll answer you uh, next week because I have to do this and this and this and this, while in actual fact, you know, he wasn't uh, on his domain at all. He was somewhere in the country doing something, um, uh, uh, from my perspective, likely uh, selling stuff because he needed to uh, keep paying his builders and uh, and architects uh, Et
0: cetera, et cetera. So, how does this connect to Oak Island then, um, or does it? Because <laughs> that's the that's the question here, right?
1: It it might, but uh, not through Saunier.
0: Um.
1: So, so how did so I knew of Oak Island, right? Right. Uh, so I've, I've always been interested in mysteries, and the mystery of Oak Island uh, is one. Sure. uh and i knew of the uh the story about the templars and then you know um, uh, i think i discovered the show in in season 4 or something like that and and started watching and i, re- and I really uh, i really liked it I, you know i uh, i watched most uh, episodes uh, if i could um so when i got uh, the question you know can you tell us uh, something about uh, nicolas Poussin? yeah sure but why and I, I thought it you know, was completely unlikely that there would be a connection between a, uh, a 17th century uh, French painter who spent most of his life in Rome, uh, for that matter, uh, and, right. uh, you know, uh, a tiny island in the North Atlantic. Um, but, uh well, I said, fine, yeah, I'll give it a go and see if I can uh, develop uh, a somewhat uh, credible theory and uh, let, let's, <laughs> let's see where we end. Um, so, um, that's when, uh, I started uh, researching a little bit more, uh, came up with the, uh, the Arcadia reference. I mean, I mean, that, that is an undeniable link, yes. you know, uh, when, uh um, um, was in the area. He did call uh, the area Arcadia, um, which later became, uh, Arcadia. Um, uh, so, so that, so that was, so that was a link. Uh, and then I uh, started looking at Shepherds of Arcadia. I knew th- there was uh, two versions of it. Uh, so uh, Poussin actually uh, painted it twice. And uh, the first version uh, was uh, loosely based on uh, the painting of someone else, a guy called uh, Gercino, uh, who painted it uh, before him. That had the same phrase on a tomb in a similar setting with two shepherds. Um, so I started looking in- into that uh, that history, and then uh, notice that um, the first version of Shepherds of Arcadia by Poussin was part of a, a set of two. So he, he painted pendants. So these were two paintings that were uh, really intended uh, to hang together right? Uh, uh, in, uh, in someone's uh, uh, quarter. Um, and he painted these paintings, uh, I mean, these were commissioned works, right? Right. and he painted this for giulio rospigliosi uh, which was the future pope clement IX. And the and the dating is something like 1629 um, and these two paintings so one of them was shepherds of arcadia so you see uh, uh, an early version of the tomb uh, there's a uh, um, uh, uh, a lady standing there's a skull lying uh, on top of the tomb uh, the familiar engraving is there at in arcadia ego Right. In front of the painting, uh, um, uh, uh, sorry, and then the other painting uh, is called uh, Midas Washing um, uh, at the River uh, Pactolus. Uh, and it has everything to do with um, um, uh, the legend or the myth about King Midas. Uh, you know, he, uh, 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 he was very greedy. Uh, he made a deal with, uh, I believe, Dionysus. Uh, with the god Dionysus and everything he touched uh, would turn to gold, right. uh, w- which was fantastic uh, until he tried to have lunch uh, uh, or shake hands with his daughter. Um, so he he really regretted it. And then uh, the god said to him, if you want to get rid of the curse, you go to the river, wash yourself. Uh, and from that moment on, uh, uh, this river would be known as a gold river. Uh, and I remember I was sitting on the plane uh, uh, over Nova Scotia. Uh, uh, and I think we were already already landing. I was looking at Google Maps, and I noticed the Gold River uh, running next to uh, to Oak Island, yep. and that's when I made the connection. So what I told the guys, I never told anyone. I believe the Ark of the Covenant is buried in the Oak Island swamp. Right. That's what uh, e- editing does to you. Right. But what what I would what I told the team is that if you believe that the Arcadia that was painted by Poussin has any reference to your Arcadia, then there is a possibility that the phrase on the tomb is an anagram. It could mean, "Itego tego arcana dei, be gone, I conceal the secrets of God. Which is a tantalizing meaning of the same phrase, et in Arcadia ego. And you have to know et in Arcadia ego is not proper Latin. It's uh, it's it's a bit of a bent uh, sentence, and it misses a uh, it misses a verb. So uh, that would that might indicate you know that that something else is the intention, and that uh, the phrase is actually an anagram. And uh, and there's multiple anagrams uh, uh, that you can make, and one of them. Uh, 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 was an Italian uh, Giteneo Arcadia go on an excursion to New Arcadia Um, so that would bring you to Arcadia i.e. New France Um, if you would add uh, the second painting uh, you could conclude hey uh, perhaps uh, um, Nicolas Poussin um, intended to depict the gold river here um, if you put the two things together, you could go near the Gold River. That would that would put you within three, four miles of the island. Of, of
0: Oak island, right.
1: And I literally told the team, that's the best I can do. <laughs> um, and then there's the other thing, the, hmm. the pentagram. People always tell me... Um, uh, uh, you know why you you and your difficult uh, theories and uh, pentagrams and people and you know that's that's not credible and uh um, but it is and it's actually very simple uh painters not only poussin but many painters uh through the centuries i think they still do actually used geometrical shapes um to um you know to anchor their composition to the canvas um in case of shepherds of arcadia that was a pentagram that's not something i invented this was research done uh, at the uh, uh, royal college of art in london Uh, um, and uh, this was published uh, in a book by henry lincoln i think in in the early 90s or the late 80s i'm not sure right Uh, but i think the the first book that disappeared in was uh, the holy place which describes uh, a bit about renly chateau and which Unveils that um, a uh, professor in art, a renowned professor in art, uh, judged this painting to be based on a pentagram and not just a pentagram. The pentagram was actually partially outside the canvas. Uh, so, so quite special. You know, a pentagram uh, rings all sorts of bells. Uh, uh, sure if you're into iconography and right. uh, esoteric research, you know, a pentagram is a shape that can protect something that's at the heart. Um, so, so th- that's interesting um, I was uh, quite you know a rookie in my Oak Island research at the time and I, I did know from the television series uh, uh, about Nolan's cross you know this uh, these five megalith huge stones you know if you stand next to them you won't believe how big they are uh, that that form the shape of a cross and and then I thought you know uh, there's five boulders in this cross and you only need four so I thought you know this fifth boulder is actually uh, perfectly positioned uh uh to to attach a pentagram uh, uh you know to the island to the to the cross so i didn't project oh that's that's the dog one said mickey hey <laughs> yeah yeah okay sorry man no it's okay <laughs> so I, I i'm assuming that's the first in an interview right? yeah it is so uh, yeah so so five uh, five boulders to uh, to attach uh, uh a uh a pentagram so i never projected shepherds of arcadia on the island uh, i didn't have to i just projected a pentagram on nolan's cross because um, everything, you know, suppose, suppose, suppose there is um, substance to the mystery of Oak Island. Um, that, you know, that would imply that at some stage a boat full of guys and maybe a couple of girls would land on the island, uh, they would get out, and then they would have to make a cross or a pentagram. And I, you know, I was always thinking, would that be doable? Is that practically doable? And, you know, I, I was convinced that if you have 30 guys in a couple of sticks, you can lay a cross and you can lay a panorama. Um, not sure you can dig a money pit. but uh, <laughs> Seems like um, pretty big boulders. <laughs> they, they are huge. They are huge. But I think, you know, with the, if, you, if you have uh, 20, 30 guys, you know, you could put them in place.
0: You know, throughout the throughout this mystery, there's so many different times where you look at stuff and you think of possibilities, and even the stuff that we look at that we know is true. You, you, you're amazed by the Herculean efforts. I mean, some of the things that Samuel Ball did and stuff like that. So obviously, people back then Crazy. did did things that we're not prepared to do these days without the help of a uh, you know of a combustion engine. But um, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So. Since you had this conversation with the guys, since your first time there, you've continued to research the Pusan angle. I have. And there we've seen updates to this, and it almost seems like you're following this trail. And before I get to that, the question that I always have for these type of things is why would Pusan do that? If there's a treasure on Oak Island and he knew about it. Why would he put it in a painting? Why leave a trail behind? If you want to keep it secret, the best way to keep it secret is to shut up about it. Yeah. Right. So, and, and that's a question I think is sort of a catch all question that involves a lot of theory. So I'm just curious what your, what's your answer to that
1: is. Yeah. yeah, That's actually a fantastic question. Uh, and again, I think the answer is very simple. Uh, he would hide clues in a painting because he would be asked to do so. You know, Shepherds of Arcadia, uh, and not only Shepherds of Arcadia, the Mona Lisa, um, these works weren't uh, painted, you know, to hang in the louvre and, uh, you know, have 100,000 views each day. They were privately commissioned works for high nobility or high clergy, um, you know, to, to be shown in their private spaces, in their private apartments, to a very small group of people. Uh, And I've always thought um, that they did it either, you know, to to really hide something, uh, you know, in terms of memorization perhaps. Uh, And if there was a, you know, someone else that would recognize the methods, you know, by which uh, this had been done, uh, they would recognize it. Solis Sacerdotibus, yeah, only only for the initiates. Um, at the same time, you know, I I I don't believe that you can read. Uh, I'm sure someone can prove me wrong here, but I, I, um, my 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 gut feel would be that you would never have, you know, the whole solution to a to a, to a whole you know uh, treasure location or to a whole situation in one painting. I uh, it feels to me, it feels very much like. They knew something, and they wanted to show uh, other people that they knew something. Um, uh, in Poussin's case, um, he made this in, uh, wh- what did I say, 1627, 1629. Mm-hmm. Um, the second version of Shep. so that's the first uh, version of shepherds of Arcadia. The second version he made... Uh, you know the most authoritative sources uh, put that painting in the 1650s 1655 uh, which is um, 20 years later a good 20 years later uh, when we wa- when he was a lot more famous right. uh, when he was so well known that he could choose his own commissions he could choose his own subjects and and you can see that the the second version of the painting is, is really a different painting um it's much more um, stylish he's really developed this this classical style of painting for which he's so renowned uh and you know it's not unlikely that uh, that he put uh uh you know something of himself in there um but we uh but we don't know uh um, still the the first painting was a commission we we know for sure we know uh, who ordered it uh, uh right. and where it uh, where it went to The second painting, it's uh, it's not fully known uh, who he painted it for. What we do know um, is that uh, you know at the end of the 17th century, uh, people started to get an interest in it. To the extent that uh, Louis XIV, eh, the Sun King, uh, King of France, uh, actually ordered his his um, uh, his second in command, the Marquis of Louvois, um, to find. Uh, this painting uh, and buy it for him uh, after which uh, he, he found it he bought it uh, together with two other works and uh, he put it in his uh, petit appartement in his private quarters right uh, uh, at Versailles so the, the painting clearly uh, had meaning uh, to the Sun king
0: so okay so let's so so let's go to the the alignment if we can, (laughs) Uh, because we're already running long here and I got so much more I want to try to get in. But um, I I feel like you guys sort of shook everybody and certainly made a huge, probably one of the biggest splashes, I think, in the show's history with the theories being presented was this thing, was this alignment. I mean, I haven't seen one theorist come on, generate so much academic conversation between the Oak Island fans as this one thing did. So let's start with how you got to it, how you found it, and then what it is. For those who don't remember, this is the alignment of a line that leads from uh, Jerusalem through Versailles all the way to Oak Island. But tell us how you fell onto this or how you discovered this.
1: Okay. Okay. I met Chris Morford uh, when I was on the island uh, filming season seven uh, and uh, you know, we got on uh, like a house on fire. Uh, you know, we, uh, uh, I think we are one good researcher together. Uh, I'm very uh, practical. Uh, uh, know my history and my timelines. Uh, Chris is, uh, uh, has a lot of esoteric knowledge. Uh, uh, he's, a, he's an active mason and he's the man. He's the fountain of knowledge. And and together, you know, we uh, we made for a combination uh, uh, that you know, uh, through which we could really move, keep moving forward all the time. Can't tell you exactly how, but um, the journey went uh, from from America uh, to England, and then you know, we knew we had to look at Versailles, and we knew there was something going on with the menorah. We had found literal references. Uh, to the menorah uh, uh, again. Uh, I can't disclose uh, uh, how yet. Okay. Uh, but but we knew what we were looking for and where. Um, so uh, we focused on Versailles, uh, and it was actually Chris Dona um, that uh, had suggested uh, in his war room uh, on Oak Island that uh, uh, Nolan's cross was somewhat uh, aligned with uh, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And at the time, and you know, nobody really paid attention. And it's not even from Chris. I don't think it was an original idea. Uh, many people uh, have uh, made comments here. Uh, I think Cord uh, Lindahl, uh, Peta Amundsen, um, I, of which I wasn't aware at the time, but uh, I, I heard it first from uh, uh, from Chris Dona uh, through Chris Morford. Um, and we started looking at Versailles, and one evening, Chris uh, messaged me and said, you, know, you, won't, you won't believe what I found here. The, the central axis of Versailles is aligned with the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Uh, and now you have to know, so for the people who don't know Versailles, this is you know, the, the pinnacle of amazing places. This is the biggest palace in the world. It's 2,000 acres laid out meticulously, symmetrically, by Louis XIV, King of France, who had basically unlimited resources, you know, to uh, whatever he wanted to put against whatever he wanted, and and boy, did he! Um, you know, he he was a uh, an avid uh, uh, scientist, architect, uh, and he used all his resources to 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 build this perfect place. And uh, Chris Morford told me that the central axis of the domain of versailles which is a, a three mile long lane was right. directly aligned uh, with jerusalem and and this is when we developed sort of a sort of rules of engagement for an alignment because what is an alignment you know the my math teacher told me yeah, yeah, good thing uh, korean mall uh, two points will always we'll you know, always be on a line well done Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah um so um, we had s- s- some sort of, you know, like four cardinal rules, uh, the locations, they really need to point at each other through a feature, a path, you know, an angle in the structure, in the building. Uh, secondly, uh, there has to be intent. Someone must have, you know, so uh, um, the central axis of Versailles and uh, the, uh, the Temple one in Jerusalem are aligned to, you know, to a, a ridiculously small margin. Um, but did someone have the intention to do that? So even if the buildings are aligned and the pathways are aligned, did did anyone have the intention? Um, if he had the intention, um, was the technology available at the time? And then the last criterion, uh, I came up with was, you know, it needs to fit the historical context. Was it to, you know, was it credible? Was there a motive, uh, from the historical context, uh, uh to do this? Uh, and that's how we how we've peeled this off um, for Versailles and the Temple Mount, in Jerusalem. Uh, you know, we have zero doubt. Um, uh, the Royal House of France, the kingship in France, was modeled on the on the House of Solomon. Um, uh, if you stand in the Royal Chapel of Versailles, it was recently uh, uh, restored. Uh, you'll stand in front of the altar. To the, to the left on the wall will be um, the menorah. On your right will be the Ark of the Covenant. Every sculpted scene that involves Jesus in the chapel involves the Temple of Jerusalem. Um, uh, And there's many other things. And let's not forget uh, that um, um, from our perspective, the whole royal domain of Versailles is laid out like a giant 7 arm menorah. It's the biggest menorah in the world, uh, which would tie it Uh, to the Temple Mount uh, immediately. So there we thought um, intent is there, historical context uh, is there, the alignment is clearly there. Did they have the technology? Um, Yes, they did. Uh, Already in the 16th century, uh, uh, French uh, mathematicians and architects started writing uh, about alignments. I have a library of at least 20 books that discuss this uh, subject and that show that they clearly knew how to do this? Where it becomes disputed is is where it uh, where the distances are becoming uh, uh, very very big. People can, um, to some extent, understand how you know the Cassini brothers could triangulate a meridian across France, even though their triangulations uh, already went across miles. Um, if it's further away, it becomes difficult for people to grasp. But um, it, it's really not more, and people are going to slaughter me for this online, I guess, but it's not more difficult than than holding up a stick and watching the sky. That's what they did. They had progression tables. They looked at constellations. They knew they would move through the sky. Uh, they had their sticks. They uh, had tables. They compared, and then they knew where they were. It's a bit like GPS today. You know, um, I was in Nova Scotia recently uh, 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 on a holiday, let, let's call it, and um, I, I, I was in places where I, I had my GPS device. I knew exactly where I was, but I didn't know in what place I was. Right. Because I didn't have a map. So you can know where you are, without knowing what place you're in. Right. Th- these are two different concepts. So someone, let's say someone in the Middle Ages who traveled to, let's say North America, could look at the stars and have some perception of where he was. If he compared uh, the sky to what he had seen at home, and if you had some simple uh, astronomical knowledge, uh, you could at least have a concept of where you are, even though you would have no idea what place you were in. Um, right. the, the the French made this into an art very early on, uh, and uh, you know I have examples that are much earlier than Versailles and the Temple Mount, where you you, you really you uh, you can't you really can't believe how they did this and what scale they worked on. But the, you know, the facts don't lie. Versailles, the central axis of Versailles and the Temple Mount are on a line and we call it an alignment. Now the controversial part is to the the west. So this is to the east. If you follow the central axis of Versailles uh, to North America, you will land in Nova Scotia. Um, We claimed on the show um, that it was aligned uh, with Nolan's cross, with the spine of Nolan's cross, with a deviation of under a degree. It's something like zero dot seven uh, degrees, uh, which which renders it, uh, which renders it useless almost straight away because that means what is it? You know, twenty miles
0: exactly. uh,
1: on a real scale because it's across like a five thousand kilometer distance. Uh, so you could miss the mark by uh, by twenty kilometers. And and we uh, uh, we were very clear. Uh, uh, about that uh, when we were on the show of course uh, things like that uh, tend to go missing on the editing table right. uh, but we I think you know we did uh, uh, frequently asked uh, questions uh, on many of the forums on Facebook uh, right. uh, after the fact and I think uh, people uh, sort of uh, bought that and understood that um, um, today I know um, that the alignment is actually perfect Uh we looked in the wrong place. Uh, I, uh, I'm not going to tell you uh, 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 what and where. Uh, stay it's, tuned. Yes, yeah, stay tuned. Yeah, exactly. Stay okay, tuned. good. But it was it's perfect to the meter um, with the spine
0: of Nolan's Cross.
1: With the spine of Nolan's cross. and
0: you're following, but you're actually following an alignment that is—you're not just following an alignment that goes a few hundred acres in England, in France. You're talking about one that leads from—I mean—is it—is it an alignment that goes from the Temple Mount through Versailles to Nova Scotia?
1: We have found a place um, very uh, how shall I say that? Um, Very firmly attached to our um, uh, original theory from season eight, which is, you know, to the meter aligned with the spine of Nolan's Cross.
0: Is this leading you to believe that the Sun King might have had some hand in this, in what happened in Oak Island? Because Uh, we're jumping around a lot of centuries, right? We're going from... Templars yeah. in this to the Sun King, which is in the 18th century. You know, I mean, we're 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 yeah. jumping around a bit. Yeah, he knew. Okay, so but in your theory, he knew of something that had happened previously. Yes. Okay. Do you want to tell me any more than that?
1: <laughs> um. I tell you one thing that I've I've told on uh, on other uh, media too, so I I guess I can share this. So. Knights Templar. Um, the sea route to Nova Scotia was known from the year 1000. So, Life Ericsson uh, landed in Newfoundland in the year 1000. Um, and, uh, you know, from, from like the 8th, 9th century, uh, the Normans started, uh, you know, to venture out I uh, go from the Orkneys to the Shetlands, to the Faroes, to Iceland, to Greenland. You know, the Vinland Sagas, Eric the Red was exiled. Right. Um, uh, then uh, his son, uh, who uh, became an adventurer himself and ended up in, uh, in Canada. So, suppose, 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 suppose you are someone in Scotland in, let's say, the 14th century. And your life is under threat. And you are from a family um, uh, or in an area where the sea route to North America is known. How big a stretch is it, you know, uh, uh, to think that if you fear for your life, you would step into a boat and cross the ocean? I don't think that's such a stretch. And if you would land... In let's say Nova Scotia, your first priority would not be to write a book. So we can argue <laughs> about it eight hundred years later. In 1309, there was the Templar trial uh, of the Knights Templar in Holyrood in Scotland, and we have the uh, we have the testimonies, we have the original Latin texts, and if you read them, and you have to imagine that the uh, the arrest, uh, um, the order to arrest came later in Scotland than uh, than in France, uh, because of the distance and because the Pope had to intervene uh, first to make a French affair a global affair. Um, Now, there were two guys interviewed uh, that day, William of Middleton and uh, a guy named uh, Walter of Clifton. And these guys, they testify that uh, the moment that they heard of the arrests, their brothers, they threw off their habits, and you know they weren't smokers. They didn't stop smoking, but their habits, their tunics, they threw off their right. threw off their their tunics, their uh, their Templar garments, and they fled. And then the Latin text says "ultra mare," across the sea. It says so liter- literally, in the uh, in the records of the uh, Scottish Inquisition, November thirteen oh nine, I believe. So where did they go? Uh, where could they go across the sea? Right. You know, they could go across the sea back to Europe. Not likely, I think. Um, could They could go perhaps to Portugal. Yeah, you would have to uh, go uh, on a sea journey. But I would imagine that uh, if a number of them uh, had entered Portugal and, uh, to become members of the Order of Christ, they would right. have been recorded as such, and they weren't. Um, could have gone... To Ireland, going to uh, hiding, maybe even back to the Holy Land. And there's one story about uh, a Knights nice Templar who is found, uh, you know, like this Japanese guy they found uh, 20 years after the war in a, in a bush in the Philippines. Um, still, you know, I, I think uh, uh, Ultramar uh, uh, could mean uh, we went uh, really across the sea. We went across a serious sea and
0: uh, they fled to North America.
1: So it's it's there, said- it's there in writing, literally.
0: It sounds from talking to you that you began this journey with the Oak Island portion of it, maybe a little less convinced of that possibility than you are now.
1: I didn't believe anything of it uh, when I started. (laughs) Uh, And that has changed. That has changed. I've done so much research. And and the funny thing is, um, Nicolas Poussin has has really been uh, the start of it all. You know, we found uh, Versailles through uh, uh, through Poussin, can't tell you how, but uh, um, that link is very clear. And then, and then uh, we started, uh, you know, to research uh, in the same way as we look at alignments. There needs to be a motive, uh, it needs to be plausible, it needs to be a historical context, it needs to be intent. Uh, and then if you start to look uh, at the history books uh, and line everything up, and I try to work only with conventional historical proven facts. So if you look at the Templars, look at look at what's what the, what they wrote down themselves or what other people wrote about them. But then you know, have a look at what the situation was. For example, were they tortured uh, in in Scotland, they weren't tortured. Uh, in France, they were. Um, and then you find very very revealing things if you um, uh, look into the Knights Templar, um, and for example, into into the accusations. Um, there's. Many, many stories about it, but there's also a lot of good research. So, you know, Dan Jones and before him, people like Malcolm Barber did fantastic work. Uh, and they, uh, on their turn, uh, used works from uh, from pre- previous authors. Uh, all in all, I think we have 935 testimonies uh, from Templars uh, during their trials, from all over Europe, uh, the majority being in France and in Spain. The red line through these um, uh, testimonies is that they denied Christ, um, and even you know the the big grandmasters in Paris, people like uh, James of Molay, um, they extracted a testimony under torture. So you know he confessed to all the accusations. Uh, later he retracted everything again when he felt better and just before they burned him. But one thing he never retracted: he denied Christ. All these guys say in, in a casual manner that during their initiation, um, they uh, had to deny Christ and they had to spit on a cross. Um, now there's a few uh, historians that uh, that think, you know, maybe this was a test of obedience. So first you would be sworn in and then I would test your obedience by making you spit on a cross. But then there's a few testimonies that are so casual that even, you know, the most serious uh, historians, uh, and, and definitely Malcolm Barber, who's sort of like a compass for me, uh, because he's such a, an authority on the subject, uh, um, um, consider this, you know, the only accusation that uh, that holds merit uh, in some way or another. And think about what that means for one minute. You never hear, hear people talking about this, right? Um, right. So it appears... I don't want to talk likelihood. I just want to say, you know, it appears that the Knights Templar during their initiations were asked to deny Christ and spit on the cross and asked um, what that meant uh, during uh, the Inquisition trials. They, they, um, um, they testified that it meant, you know, denying the crucifixion. Uh, but it also meant, you know, accepting the almighty God, the almighty creator which is a very Masonic, uh, thought, right? Um, so, you know, you, you would, you would think that, uh, uh, theorists and researchers pick up on, on, uh, on this thing, but I, I've never seen, you know, uh, uh, huge uh, studies, uh, uh, into this. Right. Um, but it's, but I think it's very, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's very telling.
0: You know, it's it's usually like you said, it's usually one of those things where people say, oh, they did that under torture or they did that maybe as part of an initiation as their way to show their obedience to God or to their leaders or whatever it might be, just like others yeah. were asked to deny Christ in the Bible and things yeah. like that. You know, so it is it is fascinating to hear this. I, I Corian, I, I mean, I can do this for hours with you. I don't want to keep you any more than than we have. Before I let you go here, um, is there anything that you think we should know going into this season about what we've heard so far and what you've told us today? Did I miss anything? Is there anything we should be prepared with going into you know the next steps of this journey that you're taking us on?
1: You have to open your mind. And you have to make up your own mind about things. Did Henry Sinclair sail to the New World in 1397 or 1398? It's immaterial. The sea route was known in the year 1000. Anyone in Scotland could have sailed to North America from the year 1000, even if he was called Henry Sinclair. Um, but people confuse the credibility of Henry Sinclair as a prince or a part of the Zeno narrative or whatever. They confuse that with the historical fact. Uh, uh, Same goes for the Zeno narrative. Um, uh, uh, The documents are there, but the map was created 150 years after the fact by a family member who found some documents. Um, So, of course, the map was off. But the Zenos... Were explorers. I mean, it's, it's uh, there's no there's no dispute. The, the only dispute, there is, is about their map and about this Prince uh, Chimney or whatever his name was, who's <laughs> associated with Sinclair. Forget about it. It's not relevant. Open your mind. Europe and North America were connected. And if I may, uh, you know, even someone like Samuel de Champlain, uh, who founded sort of founded New France, he went to explore uh, North America. Um, but he went there on the boat of his uncle. His uncle, uh, uh, Pongrav, sailed to North America five, six times a year, routinely, to trade, you know, to get to get wood, to get fish, uh, to get furs. He didn't go inland, but he, he, he knew, the, I mean... The, Samuel de Champlain almost literally took a taxi to North America. It's not like he discovered the coastline, or whatever. you know, he started mapping it. He started exploring the land, you know, trying to find a business model, a capital. All these things are true, but he didn't discover the road. The road was The road had been there for ages.
0: Right. Is Open the, your mind. Is there a treasure on Oak Island? Perhaps. <laughs> I love that answer. Listen, uh, thank you so much for this. I'm telling you, I'm going to be bugging you to do this again because it sounds like there's a whole lot to come and um, is there any place people can follow you? I mean, is the best place just on social media? I mean, you guys aren't writing, there's not a book out there people can buy, you know, I mean t- tell us how how we can st- stay in touch and how people can follow your research and that kind of stuff
1: um, There's all sorts of uh, plans to do something with this uh, research Great, and people will definitely uh, hear from that uh, but I guess uh, first, uh, uh, it's uh, stay tuned and uh, let's see what happens in uh, in season nine, uh, and uh, I think it's going to be extremely interesting uh, for people.
0: Great, listen, thank you so much. You're welcome.